Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast with your hosts Adam Keith and Matt Dye. Today we're kicking off our very first podcast ever. Going to cover everything about Land and Legacy, where we came from, where we're headed, what we're going to be doing with Land and Legacy. And first we're going to hand the mic over to Matt Dye and let him kind of dive in and get things started. I tell you what, I am excited this is an exciting time for us. We're, we're getting going, and uh, podcasts are something that I always enjoyed listening to, and uh, there's a lot of information to be gained from them, so hopefully we're going to be able to do that and share some good information about what Land Legacy is doing to hopefully uh, improve habitat kind of all across the country. Um, but a little bit about me, um, I grew up in Virginia. I lived there for about 20 years, hunting, fishing, all that jazz. I was an hour south of D.C. and an hour north of Richmond quickly I realized that that's not where I wanted to live for the rest of my life. Um, so I went to college and got a degree in biology and concentration in wildlife management. Um, soon after that, I took a position in Maryland where I worked with a land and wildlife management company um, as a project manager in their wildlife and eco-ag section and uh, managed properties, um, both private and some federal land. Um, with some contracts there and, and did some deer removal in suburban areas um, and rural areas. And then I went to work with uh, Growing Deer full-time. Uh, while I was a student there in college, I did a, an internship with Growing Deer and was asked to come back full-time and spent uh, almost two years there working. And um, that's kind of where I met Adam. And uh, we got started there kind of working together. Adam, why don't you share a little bit about your background? Sounds good. First, I'll say, before we really start diving into this, Land and Legacy podcast is a little more, we're going to try and be a little more off the cuff. You're going to hear a lot more jokes, a lot, probably a lot of mess-ups, probably a lot of them from me, but just a little kind of laid-back podcast talking about habitat, conservation, hunting. We're going to share hunting stories, strategy techniques, and everything we do on a daily basis. So, given a little bit of the background for me, I grew up in Mansfield, Missouri, Home of Laura Ingalls Wilder, but not great deer hunting. And so at a very young age, I started hunting and realizing that uh, habitat probably wasn't ideal for ever killing giant deer like I was watching on all the on the TV and DVDs. So started trying to figure out ways to improve habitat, quickly got obsessed with it, and started reading magazines, articles, pretty much any information I could get, and started testing and doing all kinds of habitat work right there on the family farm about probably 20 years ago. Then I went to college and actually, unlike a lot of people that are in consulting and habitat management and everything involved with whitetails and quail and ducks and turkeys, whatever it is, I actually went in and studied agriculture with an emphasis in animal science, and but still having the passion for wildlife management. I left there, left college, graduated, and started working for the Missouri Department of Conservation in roundabout way, found myself working with Mark and Terry Drury at Drury Outdoors, spent a little bit of time there, and then shortly after that, I met Matt Dye, started working at Growing Deer, worked there for a little over five years, and Matt and I kind of envisioned Land and Legacy, and here we are today, um, kicking it off. Really trying to uh, help landowners and help hunters. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I grew up on a working cattle farm, so I really have a heart for those guys that are out there trying to manage on properties that aren't ideal hunting properties, so small acreage or acreage that's devoted to cattle or devoted to crops. 
devoted to something other than the wildlife. That's kind of those those guys get me, and I grew up that way. So really going to use Land and Legacy to target and help those guys managing on properties like I just described. Question? Uh, I guess given a little bit of background on how we got into hunting, I know everybody, that's one of the most asked questions we get is kind of how we got our start or how we got to where we are. But when we dive in and ask a little bit about how we got into hunting, what led us into wildlife management, I give a little bit of my explanation, but I can dive in more. But fat, first, Matt, why don't you take off? Yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of, for some reason, I passed up that, and that's one of the biggest reasons why I started studying wildlife management and going to school and I had a, I had dreams of just being a taxidermist when I was in high school. I was like, you know, college just isn't for me. But then I got really serious about it and really felt uh, kind of a calling and a tug to go on and um, get some higher education, if you will, and, and uh, went on with that. But for me, hunting, my gosh, it goes way back. At, some of the first memories I have are uh, dad coming back at 9, 10 o'clock in the morning after a, a successful spring turkey hunt and me just being completely – enthralled by looking at a, a, a big gobbler and, and studying it and looking at it and, and just reliving the hunt with that. And he, I wasn't even there. I was probably dead asleep, but just, uh, those memories kind of kicked everything off for me. And it was part of my family that I got to see my brother start going hunting. And of course I was jealous, but he was five years older than me. So I had time to wait. I had time to get anxious about it. And, um, lucky for me, gosh, it was about second grade. Um, I remember, shooting my first squirrel right behind our house. We were actually walking out. I spied it in the fork of a tree and I had a single shot 410. And um, the sun was setting is it basically facing west. So it was the last little bit of light and you could just see it silhouetted up there. And I pow, shot and my after that, and then kind of game was over. I was hooked and um, I think it was, th- it was third grade. I shot my first deer and then fifth grade, I shot my first turkey um, spring turkey, and uh, I mean, you, you name it, I was hunting it and hooked lot, after that. You got a lot earlier start than I did. I killed my first deer when I was in sixth grade. Killed my first turkey. Take that back. I killed my first deer when I was in seventh grade. Killed my first turkey when I was in sixth grade. Um, in Missouri, you actually had to, when I was growing up, you had to be 12, I believe, before mm-hmm. you could start carrying a gun and hunting um turkeys or deer you could hunt squirrels and quail and that's a, that's basically how i i've told you this a yeah, hundred yeah. times quail is really what kind of got me into hunting and not necessarily the the act of carrying the gun and just walking bouncing behind around dad. behind a dog all i did really was walk around behind dad and throw rocks in a creek and <laughs> i was just in the outdoors at gosh i was like five or six at those yeah. at that time and and that kind of got me hooked on the outdoors and everything about that. And then I started carrying an old single shot 410. Couldn't mm-hmm. hit the broadside of barn with it. But uh, that's how I – quail was really what started it off for me. And that's why I think with Land and Legacy, one of our big, one of our big goals is going to be showing a little bit of uh, habitat restoration for quail. Yeah. You know, here in the Ozarks, I don't know how it was back in Virginia, but we used to have – Guys like my dad and older talk about how there used to be quail everywhere. We don't have many quail anymore. There was last covey I saw was a couple of years ago on my lease. Uh, Twenty some birds, which was a huge covey for uh, for around here, especially with the quail habitat and quail numbers we have now. But uh, I haven't seen them in two years, so it's uh, it's kind of scary to think about the quail numbers really plummeting, but. The one thing we're going to cover a lot is habitat restoration for quail and using government programs 
that's going to be a big part of what we do is is trying to manage properties on a budget. And I know one thing, government programming is an is an awesome opportunity, but it's it's overlooked. A lot of people don't know about it, and there's a lot of great stuff for quail, quail habitat um, restoration through equip programs. And so we're going to be doing some of that. We're going to be doing a lot of deer habitat restoration, a lot of techniques for, uh, you know, managing a small family farm where I told you I grew up, and uh, just a lot of cool stuff. Almost more stuff than we can even talk about on this podcast that we're going to be doing that uh, we're excited about. I know I'm excited about the quail, but I'm excited about all the glade restoration we're doing. I'm excited about the logging operation we have going on, the food plot, uh, laying out the new food plots and starting the food plots. There's just all kinds of awesome stuff we're going to be doing. So Basically, if, if you can take a blank slate of a property, just a blank 600 acres, and think of it having pretty much zero benefit to the wildlife at this time yeah, basically then, the only benefit is a little bit of probably a little bit of early secession maybe some yeah, timber stuff a little uh, bit a, very little very yeah we're little. looking at 400 plus acres of straight timber uh ridge tops have been high graded probably 30 some years mm-hmm. ago and the slopes still have some good logs on it but there's no food plots other than one that's probably a tenth of an acre but a tenth of an acre food plot and 400 and some acres doesn't usually make much food because what little food there is, the deer absolutely hammer it. So it's pretty much a blank slate. There's it, it, in a, in a, a wildlife a, management standpoint, and, and starting from scratch, it's about as scratch as you can get. Yeah. But, hey, that's what that what makes it exciting because, again, it's a blank slate, and, and it's – Starting from ground zero, you can oh. you can see transitions and, and just picture what it can be. You see this this thick timber, and you know, okay, in just a little bit of time, that's going to be a food plot. And you kind of start laying out, okay, well, deer are definitely going to travel on this slope. They're going to use this bench to get here and there, and, and it just comes together in your head. And, again, we're, we're just starting this process, and I'm pumped already for it. Yeah, totally. And, and so to give a little bit, uh, I guess, on home base and, and what, what the – properties we're going to be working on looks like so we have our home base which is kind of i guess a combination of three properties my family farm which is just under 300 acres matt's family farm his parents moved out here from virginia a couple years i guess just over a year ago right about a year ago and uh just over 100 acres um, that is devoted to cattle then we have our kind of our home base which is uh 610 acres just next to my family farm, and that is the property Matt was just describing, 400-plus acres of timber and then some open ground, some open bottom ground that's been devoted to cattle pasture. Uh, it's been taken over by Johnson grass. Don't even but get me started. not for long. Not for long. We're getting ready to really change things up, change the management uh, practices there and convert some of those fescue pastures in the bottom to um, corn and alfalfa and, and lay out some food plots on the – on the timber ground and have a logging operation come in and open up that canopy and we're going to lay out some roads and you know you look at a lot of properties in hunting shows and just people popular popular i guess pieces of dirt where people are always hunting and killing big deer and you always look at it and say boy i wonder what why they did it that way i wonder why they put that food plot there and that road there or, or that whatever pond there this is going to give everybody an opportunity to watch a 600-acre property clean slate and go, 
Okay, that's exactly why they laid that food plot there. Oh, I get why you laid. Oh, I okay, I get why you put that food plot in that in that location versus that location. So yes. um, it's a step by step transition of again starting at zero and and working to a premier hunting property and and um, again I'm excited to hunt it one, but I'm excited to tr- to just see that transition and then share it with everyone because how many properties out there are very similar to this? Gosh, we drive down the road and. There's not that much timber value in the area that we're at. No. This is just a small fraction of, of course, the whole U.S. And how much land is just dominated by over, you know, or overtaken by fescue. And by just doing the simple management, you can really, really improve a property. And and that's what I'm excited to share. Is, gosh, there's other people out here listening. Hopefully, right now that, you know, those light bulbs are dinging. My property looks like that. I've got those sim- similar types of field that I might be able to convert and. You know, cattle can still benefit from them, but, you know, all these things that we're going to share um, are doable. They're realistic. Absolutely. And so I guess to dive in on land and legacy and what, what kind of the purpose with that is, I think it's, I guess there's a lot of ways you describe land and legacy and what our mission is, but I guess our overall mission is to help landowners, hunters improve the habitat they're on, but understand that even if they own 10 acres, 30 acres, less than 100 acres or 2,000 acres, there's always something you can do to improve the habitat and uh, help the wildlife in your area. And and kind of our background is we grew up uh, hunting and managing around cattle. So there's a lot of guys that are dealing with that. We're going to show techniques we've used successfully to manage properties around cattle. So it's, it's overall management on these smaller properties and or any property for that matter, but it's, it's about improving it for the next generation. Um, so even when our work is done, when we part ways, hopefully there's somebody else to grab that torch and continue improving the habitat and, uh, helping the wildlife out along the way. Yeah, no doubt. And that starts right now in the whole planning and designing phase of, of transitioning this property, because when we cut timber, you know, we've got to have that in mind, that goal in mind of leaving it better, you know, after we're gone. So, you know, we're not going through, we're not talking, um, wiping out the timber we're talking about doing selective cuts where we're, we're harvesting some of the um the good trees the good logs but then leaving seed trees as well for those future generations to um, take advantage of and um, by by sharing those practices hopefully that's going to have a, a big impact on other people to do the same and and you know we don't want these techniques just to be used here and now we want them to be used by um, the next generation so it just improves more and more land exponentially um, over the years. So yeah, I'm, and, gosh. and not only that, but not just future generations, but improving the habitat, helping people, not just throughout the country, but more specifically, you know, I think there's always this competitive spirit in everybody that they want to be improving the habitat to where their farm's so much better than their neighbor. Well, if your neighbor gets on board with it, sure. He may be holding just as many deer as you, but you start this progression to where the whole neighborhood does it, you're all going to have a lot better hunting and a lot better habitat yep. and the wildlife benefit from it. So it's not this competitive spirit of I'm going to make my place better or I'm going to out, I'm going to have better out food compete, plots than my neighbor. Right. Yeah, you're just, everybody's improving habitat for the, the better of the wildlife. Mm-hmm. So No doubt. No doubt. And uh, <clears throat> you, I got to go back to my... my my parents and their their cattle farm and operation that started back way 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 back in Virginia. Um, again, they moved out here pretty recently, but uh, we had we had cows and about three hundred acres uh, 
of land just pretty much devoted to them and, and working around that. And then they moved out here to have 108 and I guarantee you 80 to 85% of that is devoted to cattle. The other 15 I can hunt, but, um, most of it is steep slopes. So, uh, I, I'm hoping that that property itself is just a, um, a realization for other people who, who are, have very little, maybe their grandpa's 40 acres or their grandpa's, you know, cattle farm that they have is just a little bit of pieces here and there edges of fields that they can convert and improve um or a little bit of timber stand improvement um throughout the wooded sections of the property to to improve so that i'm excited again it's only 108 acres um but already with zero management done we've got a couple trail cameras out and they've uh they've got some pictures of some good deer now it's just taking those good deer making it more regular keeping them on that property so we can hopefully um, some, have some run-ins next season absolutely so your property actually kind of a i'll give a little bit more of a background so when matt and i uh didn't know each other at all of course he lived in virginia i lived in missouri and my family farm is south of mansfield my lease is right next to it and then he moved out and then shortly after his parents moved out here but as they started process of looking for land in the area kind of getting out of that east coast busy life feel they were looking in back in the midwest in the bible belt yeah yeah and lo and behold they end up buying a property less than five miles from my family farm so shoot there's only a couple of properties there's two small properties and a larger property between his his parents place and my lease so kind of right there in the same neighborhood as the crow uh, flies two and a half miles from the the lease corner to my parents corner so um i'm sure throughout the years we're gonna we might share a deer or two and and uh it's just kind of exciting to to see how that that all uh, takes place and uh just a different different management styles on those two properties and what we can um do and use on on the two different properties again it's it's an exciting time and i actually i remember texting you or, or dropping a pin on a map and saying hey you know where this is at you know this property and um, I don't think there's a person in Douglas County that Adam or his family doesn't know. And, of course, they knew who the landowner was and knew that property. And um, I, I kind of had a, a little twitch of my heart saying, my gosh, I hope my parents end up there just because uh, it's so close. And, and wouldn't that be something they move from over a thousand miles away and end up less than three miles from uh, Adam's family farm and, and um, their lease and just kind of worked out and parents fell in love with the place and here we go yeah so you described that little over 100 acres and 80 90 percent of it's devoted strictly to cattle and i'll go a little bit and say what isn't you said it's steep by meaning <coughs> steep we mean steep there's no way you can get a food plot uh, on it. it's just no it's up and then it's down yeah it's it's definitely mountainous type terrain and there's no way so there's no way for a food plot, so our our strategy there, we've already kind of brainstormed, is going to be a lot of open up canopy. If there's any way we can yep. get a, a log crew in there, to there are some nice logs, some nice are. white oaks, yeah. Yeah. but uh, for the most part, it's it's steep, steep, steep. So it sounds like it's going to be some chainsaw work, open up that canopy, and then we're going yep. to be burning it every couple of years and trying to keep early succession growth. And uh, I, we start doing that, we're way ahead of the, I guess, the neighborhood as far as the neighborhood's mostly cattle pasture, so. most likely going to be holding a lot of deer in there just in that smaller property and And, then uh, we had we had east and we already described the lease now let's describe the family farm for me and it's a little on 300 acres but it's devoted to cattle 
and we have a lot of open ground there, but there's a lot of there's a couple pastures and a couple hay fields and then we've got few little areas. It's a very odd shaped property. As Matt's seen many, many times, it's shaped a lot like the state of Texas. You mean it is Texas. Yeah, it pretty much is Texas. So there's few little areas that little woodlots and places where the cows can't um, they can't get to the woods and we've actually over the years convinced dad to make one food plot and that food plot turned into two more food plots and then as he has he quoted me or said to me one time and i'll never forget it he said he gives me an inch and i always take a mile and that's kind of how it went with the food plot world at the family farm growing up is he would say yeah we could i guess we can fence off that little portion of the property and before we know it we fence off a couple portions of the property and we have some little quarter acre food plots everywhere so but it has you know I, I think it's a great testament of just going the extra mile and improving the habitat. We've done a little bit of cutting, cl- open up the canopy, experimented with hinge cutting. We've uh, a couple different ways of hinge cutting. We've planted the food plots. We've done a lot of fire. And you, we've already had some great deer show up, a couple deer over 160, killed a great buck there this past year. And it's just, it's Already, we're seeing we haven't really started diving full bore into this property. Um, we've done a lot of toying and I guess hobby farming, if you will, for the last couple of 12 years, and now we're diving in full bore. And so we're really excited to see what the property turns into and what the wildlife do. Well, yeah, you've been a little busy for the past 12 years or so, so you can't be too hard on yourself, but just knowing what has already occurred and gone on there with just that little bit of time and into the wildlife management aspect of it, it's really encouraging to know, okay, I've done this, passed a lot of deer, passed, I mean, I'm sure you you and your brother and your dad have passed hundreds of opportunities on bucks throughout, you know, 10 years, and you're, you're seeing the results, you're seeing the results of the, the food plots, the habitat work, the prescribed fire, and that's been such a small portion of your life through the past 12 years. Not because that's not what you wanted to do, but just because of other other um, responsibilities, r- responsibilities yeah. and requirements. So now we're able to go down there, work that 300 acres, work the 600 acre lease, the home base. And again, it's just it's exciting to know what the possibilities are. And honestly, I don't think we've seen the full potential of those possibilities yet. No, absolutely not. No. So it, it, it's, it's encouraging because right now we... There's 21 or so acres of, of corn that gets harvested, um, and just next year, we're going to bump that 21 acres up to 75 acres of corn, and then convert some of that into alfalfa. So, if you guys know anything about corn or alfalfa ever hunted around production agriculture, you kind of know what we're talking about. So, And I don't know square miles around us how far actual ag is, but... It's a long ways. It's a long ways, for sure. And, and even if the corn we're talking about in my neighborhood, and up until this year, this is the first year that farmer could actually get crop insurance in my county. And before that, it, you hardly, you see a little bit more corn around. A lot of people are using it to cut for silage and feed cows with. They're not actually doing um, crop. They're not harvesting it for grain. So a little bit different where I'm at. So the benefit of that for me is they cut it early silage and that gives us plenty of time to come back and cover crop it. And as far as the corn in the area, there's not many farmers who do plant corn and the ones that do usually aren't cover cropping and 
planting weed and or a mix of cereal grains back uh, after they harvest and we're the one of the few so uh quick story here uh growing up i think we found i i guarantee we found less than 10 sheds my whole life up until i was 26 years old we never found hardly any sheds and we would always laugh and say that come february squirrels climbed on their backs and chewed the antlers off before they actually shed them because you never found shed antlers you just and i walked miles and miles and miles and I read articles, okay, oh, well, that's what I that's why I didn't find any. I didn't walk any fence lines where they're jumping the fence and dropping their antlers. So I walked and walked, never found it. But in the last three years, we planted this field. And each winter, we found a few sheds. And I think we found 14 or 15. And this year was the first year we've actually found a match set of a hitless buck, four and a half years old. So he's our number one guy. Call him the mule. He's a big old nine-pointer, short brows, great-looking deer. And uh, we really got our sights set on him. But it was just a great example of, of getting food in the neighborhood and, and having that food during the late winter and, and seeing the amount of sheds. Uh, just a great testament of, of, what, of the power of food. Yeah, no doubt. And it sounds funny, and, and everyone knows, um, kind of watched your experience. And, like, it's not that you don't know how to shed hunt. It's just that this terrain, this area, and honestly – currently the low deer density they're like should i really be listening to this guy on a podcast does he know what he's talking about he found like 10 sheds his whole life but really it's that tough it's that crazy um and then okay so to give a little bit of a a background on one shed hunt in iowa we found 126 sheds in a day and a half so there he's, can, he's bragging now can find sheds but you just uh <laughs> he's not yeah, blind i'm not blind it's just that the, you just it's very difficult to find them in the ozarks so especially if you don't have big food plots yeah to but be able to anyway and hold i beer. guess on this note uh for people listening you need to check us out on facebook at land and legacy and also on instagram at land and legacy we post stuff daily on there and uh hopefully we're going to really start pumping it up this spring hit turkey season we're going to start seeing a lot more videos of course we just launched uh we just i guess incorporated our llc consulting services back in december so we're going to start releasing podcasts on a weekly basis and hopefully they're going to have an episode soon on the on the web and all kinds of information coming to you from land and legacy got anything you want to add matt it's about wrap up this first inaugural podcast I think we've covered about everything we want to cover on the first episode. I think we episode. a little bit about uh, consulting services. Oh, okay. I'll um, let you dive in with that. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other things that Land and Legacy um, is a part of, yeah, we're going to be producing a, a weekly web series and podcasts to follow up to really answer viewer questions. And, and when someone watches the the web series, the show, we, we've got a spot down below that that they can go on the website and, and send in a question. We want to be able to address those questions um, from the video and talk about them in our podcast because it's if likely you're having that question. Other people are as well. And that, that gives us a, you know, the ability to really communicate and, and dive into those questions and answer in full detail and maybe even share some um, articles and stuff that we found to help support those findings. Or you know, We really want to be able to do that, but a whole nother section of land and legacy is our consulting services. And, um, since, uh, gosh, it's been right, right around the turn of the year. Um, January, we've, we've been on a number of properties close to probably about 20, 
um, here in the Midwest, um, anywhere from Iowa to Kansas and Tennessee, Missouri, Arkansas, Illinois, um, Illinois. About that yeah. cold trip. Oh, buddy, that was cold. Oh gosh. And um, yeah, so we've we've been traveling quite a bit, and we're just visiting private landowners. Um, who have got some property that are interested in doing wildlife management, implementing um, a bunch of different techniques that, that we've used in the past, and um, and we're prescribing that. We're we're doing a tour across their property, and um, some are interested in a management plan. So we're writing what fifteen to twenty page management plans for each property, and um, helping assist those landowners in reaching their goals and and. Um, so we've we've been gosh we've been super busy doing yeah. that. We were That's hoping been a blessing to doing podcasts a lot earlier, but we've been <laughs> way too busy. But yeah, here we are on the first one. One thing I will add to the consulting business, yeah, um, consulting description is, you know, we talk about this for guys that are really trying to improve their hunting or whatever. Mm-hmm. But not just that, people that own, let's just say they own twenty acres and they're yeah. looking to, you know, I. I want to just, I'm not a hunter, but I just want it to be more beneficial to the wildlife. I want to see them or whatever. You yep. can also help people with that. Or oh, yeah. they're infested with invasive species, and they're like, I don't really know how to get rid of this stuff. They can hire us, and we'll go out there and write up a plan or figure out a way to take take control of the habitat and get it back to its uh, native state. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's no property acreage restrictions here we've been on a property that was 26 27 acres and yeah. and uh was able to really help that gentleman um kind of turn over his property and really get it uh it's just kind of fresh eyes exactly even on my place you know I've, I've hunted it forever but it's nice to have somebody like when you came in and first time you saw it i was like what do you want to do what do you think mm-hmm. just having those fresh eyes on there somebody yep. who's thinking outside the box and absolutely and uh can really that's a lot of times that's a person that can really help you out yep Yep, so any size, 10, 20 acres, all the way up to, I'm not even going to put a limit on it. We'll go anywhere. We'll do anything. You'll have us work in the Mark Twain National Forest now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. So anyway, I think that pretty well wraps up the first podcast. Absolutely. Pretty good idea of what we're about, what we're going to be doing, and uh, hopefully people will be following along. I hope so. I'm excited. Yeah, I am very excited as well. So thanks, thanks everyone for joining us today on Land and Legacy Podcast, and we'll catch you next time.